Titus, third chapter, fourth verse, and when you have it, please stand. Hear ye the word of the Lord. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. want to talk a little bit about handling gifts. Uh, He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. A great transfer of wealth is coming to this town. Mm, All right. All right, all right. So something that they were talking about and uh, that I've been learning about rather in preparation for this sermon is that they expect a great transfer of wealth over the next couple years. Um, a lot of the baby boomer generation is passing away and their hard-earned pensions and savings that they have put up are going to be transferred over to us millennials in Generation X children. Uh, More cash than Santa Claus could carry. Hmm. Trillions of dollars. Not million, not billion, trillions of dollars is about to change hands over the next few years. Some people estimate as much as 30 trillion dollars. People are going to be passing over through insurance and pensions and savings and all of that uh, to their children and their grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren. And this huge transfer of wealth is about to happen. And as the baby boomers turn over their earnings to Generation X and Y and Millennials, there's something else that we've learned about this transfer of wealth. Most of the people that get these inheritances will blow them. Mm. All right. And they will blow through it rather quickly. Mm. I was reading a book long ago called The Millionaire Next Door, and they said that the only way that people were able to transfer wealth through generation to generation is one, to have so much that you couldn't blow it all. Or the more convenient way was to give restrictions. 
And so when you had these families that were transferring their wealth down, uh, Junior didn't get the whole nest egg. Junior only got a piece of it. The, the, and, and not only did they have a piece of it, um, there were restrictions and stipulations on it. I had a friend of a friend that went to HBU while I was in college, and they were actually on a trust fund. And this trust fund that they had was set up, their parents had set it up, or their grandparents had set it up, where you didn't get the whole thing. What you had to do is hit certain milestones, so you had to be out of high school by a certain age in order to get a certain amount of money. And then you had to finish college by a certain age in order to get another amount of money. And if you wanted to buy a house or if you wanted to get married, they would give a little piece off, but you never got a hold of the whole thing. Because when you got that all at once, people would blow it. There was a, the cert, it's a group called the Certified Financial Planners Board of Standards says that nearly one-third of lottery winners declare bankruptcy. Because they get all of this in and they can't handle it. They get a gift that is way too big and they can't handle it. I remember going to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting long ago when there was a a gentleman that was playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time, and somebody asked him, you know, how do you evangelize to other people on your team? And he said, that's really hard because you're talking to people that have a lot of money in the bank, got a bunch of people following them around, and got a bunch of people telling them whatever they want to hear and doing whatever they wanted to do. And what happens is, is money makes you whatever you already are. Hmm. All right. And when you know you have something coming, you act a little different. We might be willing to spend a little more if we know paydays tomorrow, amen? Uh Right. And so Apostle Paul was talking about this in Titus. He was writing to Titus and giving people uh, uh, the qualifications some may argue for either a bishop or a pastor and some of the things that they need to know and some of the things that they need to do. And this just happens to be the text for the lectionary for December 25th. I didn't pick it. That just happened to be what came out. And he's talking about us being heirs mm. to a treasure and telling us how we need to spend it. Paul wants us to know that we are heirs to a huge inheritance. And because we are heirs to this huge inheritance, we need to be able to spend it wisely. He says that we were godless at first, but through God's graciousness, Christ came to earth. Uh, The love of God showed up, amen? He says to remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient to ready to do whatever is the good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. And at that one time, we were too foolish, disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another people of God 
had got access to this salvation, got access to eternal life, got access to the kingdom, but was still acting like they didn't know Jesus. And so he was telling them in, in, in Titus 3 that they needed to do good. Christ came to the earth. The love of God showed up. And although this is a lectionary scripture and it's not our normal scripture, it's still talking about Christ's birth. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We've just gotten through the last four weeks of Advent. We were waiting on Jesus to come. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and now he's here. And we're talking about Christ's birth, although it's not like the story we're used to. There's nothing in the passage that talks about angels on high. There's no Mary or no Joseph or no shepherds. And while we're on talking about Christmas on December 25th, I got to say that the weather would not have put it at December 25th. Jesus would have been born in the spring, and some scholars say that's anywhere between March and October. Mm-hmm. All right. But until we find out the exact date, I'm okay with celebrating it on the 25th. Mm-hmm. I don't care about what other holidays were going on that time. You cannot, in my opinion, accidentally worship anything else. Mm. All right. Come on. Yeah. Ah. Hello. Hello. On, check, check. You, One, two, two, two. Yeah. You worship literally means how much something is worth to you. And so if a pagan ideal means nothing to me, then I can't worship Amen. it. Amen. And so when I come across those woke people that talk about Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December, I know that. But until you can give me an exact date, I'll stick with the 25th. And so there are no shepherds out in the spring. There are no wise men. The text says that there were wise men. It does not put a number on them. We often say three, but the text does not put a number on them. It was wise men. There's no giving of gifts. Since we're talking about giving of gifts, it ain't your birthday. (laughs) All right. (laughs) But there were no giving gifts of gifts. The gifts were for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there was St. Nicholas, a real man that we based this Santa Claus on. He was a bishop in what would have been called modern day Turkey right now. And he gave gifts to the poor, not to his family members. Mm -hmm. All right. So we still have this story, and there are no angels, no Mary, no Joseph, no shepherds, no gifts, no wise men, no prophecy. All that's missing, but it strips it down to the core. They say that the best way to get something across is to keep it simple. And so he focuses on Jesus arriving. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we ought not get caught up in all of the traditions We need to focus on the reason that we celebrate today and not get caught up in all these other traditions that we'll end up worshiping more than the reasons we've actually gathered in this season. Uh People talking about there's a war on Christmas. Hmm. And I'm watching people argue about whether or not 
you should come to church today, but those people who are arguing about it don't come to church on a regular basis to begin with. All right. I've seen more people get upset during this time of year about seeing people put an X in front of MAS than I've seen any other time. You're taking Christ out of Christmas. It's Christmas. It's not Xmas. No. (laughs) Can't really see it, but I have a ring I wear on my right hand. It's an X with a P through the middle, if that was English. But it's actually Greek. And so that X is for Chi. And that P is actually the Greek letter Rho, which is the symbol of Christ, Chi, Rho, which is how you start off spelling Christos or the Christ. And so when you actually put an X in front of Mas, you have not taken Christ out of Christmas. You've actually abbreviated it. All right. It's the same thing. But we'll get caught up on that but not come to church on Sunday. I know we was uh, expecting some come let us adore him, but I wasn't really feeling that when I woke up this morning. All right. Christ came to earth. That is what we ought to focus on. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. Because his graciousness was in spite of our godlessness. All right. <clears throat> and he came to earth to wash away our sins. The text says he saved us not because of righteousness or things we've done. You didn't earn it. You can't earn salvation. There is nothing you can do to deserve it. If you was able to deserve it, Jesus would not have had to come down here. Jesus would not have had to step out of eternity, put on human clothes, step out of time and eternity and, and paradise to learn what it was like to be sick, to learn what it was like to be cold, to learn what it was like to be hungry, to learn what it was like to be angry, to learn what it was like to be thirsty, to walk a a, a mile in our shoes, so to speak. If you could save yourself, he would not have had to go to the cross. He could have got off and said, I'm good. Y'all done figured it out for yourself. But he didn't. And we didn't do anything to earn it. This is not something we can do through human achievement. It's not something we can earn. This salvation came because of God's mercy and loving kindness. And because God showed up and saved us through that kindness, we ought to be able to show that kindness to others. If somebody did not see you walking in and out of this church on Sunday, would they still know that you're a Christian? My, my. All right, all right. If you didn't tell them that you were a Christian, would they still be able to know that? I'm talking about more than just having a too blessed to be stressed shirt on. All right. Putting on a a, a fisherman's mark on the back of your car. Mm. I'm talking about more than just talking about going to church. Are your actions showing that you believe in Jesus? How do you treat people that can't do nothing for you? Mm. All right. Do your actions say that you're a Christian? And the reason your actions say that you're a Christian is because we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory. We've all missed the mark. We are all nothing but just filthy rags when it comes down to it. There is nothing we could do to do it. And Paul tells Titus this, but he also tells the church in Ephesians that he says, by grace, 
You have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest any man should boast. And then if they didn't get it in in Ephesians, he told them in Timothy as well. For who has saved us and called us in a holy calling, not according to his works, but according to his own purpose and the grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought us life and immortality to light through the gospel. We have been given a gift. We have inherited eternal life and we didn't earn it ourselves. It was done by our father long before us. Just like you can't earn your inheritance. It's given to you as a gift from those who came before you. You can't earn this salvation. It's given to you as a gift as Jesus has gone before you. And because you got a gift, you ought to be grateful. Is there anybody in the house that's grateful today? All right, all right. We didn't do anything to earn it. And because we didn't do anything to earn it, we ought to be able to treat other people better. And then the text goes on to say that he saved us and and he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That spiritual cleansing, that baptism, that sign and seal. The regeneration, the renewing, the washing, the regeneration, a new life that begins when a person comes to Christ. Renewal is closely related to rebirth and it signifies the complete transformation of a person's life that begins when they are regenerated. Do you know why we baptize children in the United Methodist Church? Because you don't do the work. We believe that God's grace is available for all. And when you go down in that water or when you have that water poured on you, you ain't doing the work. God is doing the work. You may have made a decision, but God is actually performing the action. You can't save Yourself. Amen. Amen. And so this sign and this seal, this initiation, this this baptism, this washing, this regeneration, this making you new. You can't do it on your own. It comes through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are washed and regenerated because he came. And not only did he came, he came and lived a life. And then he came and he died a death that we could not die. And so while we celebrate the birth, we also need to focus on what was done. I thank God for his birth. But I also thank God for his life. And I thank God for his death. And I thank God for his resurrection. And I thank God that he's coming back again. And so we're washed, we're renewed, we're regenerated, we're reborn because he came and he gave us the indwelling of that spirit. And God is fully justifying us. He's aligning us. He's making us right. And so what are we supposed to do with this windfall, this inheritance, 
this, this new cash that we got. We can't blow it. We got to use it wisely. We got to preserve our funds by investing them. How do we invest them? Well, I'll go on and tell you. I read four through seven, but, but uh, eight kind of tells us, eight and nine tell us what we need to do. This is a trustworthy saying. I like when Paul says that because every time he says that in the text, he means I mean what I'm about to say right now. You can bank on it. You can write it in stone. You can save it wherever you need to save it and give us multiple copies of it because I mean what I'm about to say. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. We ought to be putting our time and energy into things that further the kingdom of God. The only things you do for Christ will last, so we ought not be caught up in things that won't matter. We ought to be able to avoid foolish controversies and devote ourselves to doing good work. Mm-hmm. What are some of the silly controversies we've been entrapping ourselves in lately? I won't point anything out. We can all think about it on our own. Pretty sure there's a lot of stuff that if you really think about it, would somebody care about this a hundred years from now? Mm-hmm. Is this furthering the kingdom of God? Are souls being saved by this? Is this defeating the works of the devil? If it's not, we really probably should leave it alone. It says that we should avoid these things in light of come stacking it up to Jesus. If it seems worthless, we need to let it go. In addition, since we are heirs of God, we should be careful to devote ourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable to other one. He's saying that we should devote ourselves not to arguments about the law, not to arguments about who we think is going to get into heaven and who we think not, mm. not to arguments about who we think is being a good Christian and who we think is not, right, not right. to arguments about whatever title we think we should have, what committee we think we should be on, how much money we think we should be making, how much, what kind of title we should have at our job. We shouldn't be focusing on those things, but doing the work of the Lord. Right. Are they excellent and profitable to everyone? They say that a rising tide lifts all boats. Is what we doing, or are what we doing rather helping everybody else or just ourselves? Our energy should go into things that are benef- beneficial rather to the greatest number of people. Paul talks about these good works. He says it in Romans to contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. If your enemies are hungry, 
Feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12 if you're, writing that, if you're taking notes or scoring at home. We ought not to return evil for evil. Proverbs says if we treat our enemy uh, nicely, we heap coals upon their head. We got to devote our time to what matters in moving forward. James tells us that true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans of the world. Are we taking care of those who can't take care of themselves? Are we helping those who can't help themselves? Are we looking to put on a good program? Mm, All right, all right. We have to look at what's excellent and profitable to everyone and preserve our inheritance by investing what we've been given as a windfall into others. So when we get this gift on Christmas, the biggest Christmas gift we could possibly get, we shouldn't just simply receive it and say, I got it and I'm good and not worry about nobody else. We should be able to share it with the people around us. So in the end, the best way to handle our inheritance is to share it with others. Jesus did not go on that Friday morning on a hill called Calvary just for you. Right, all right. He didn't get put up on that cross just for you by yourself. He didn't get nailed in his hands and feet just for you by yourself. He didn't have to wear a crown of thorns just for you by yourself. He didn't die just for you by yourself. He wouldn't put in the tomb just for you by yourself. The stone was not rolled away just for you by yourself. He didn't get up early on the third day just for you by yourself. He didn't ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father just for you by yourself. And guess what? He's not coming back again just for you by yourself. All right. You've got an inheritance. You need to share it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.